Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Somebody's always looking for something in this part of the West. This place is our West, and I wish they'd leave us alone. Four years ago, something terrible happened here. We did nothing about it. Nothing! What does he say? Who is this guy, anyway? Never heard of him, that's what he says. Checklist, no John J. McCready. No listing, no record, no information, nothing. Bad day at Black Rock. Starring Lee Marvin. And Robert Ryan. Anne Francis. Dean Jagger. Walter Brennan. John Erickson. Ernest Borgnine. Spencer Tracy. That'll be better if you went out there and got done with it. What can he find out? liable to be the hardest ten dollars you ever earned in your life they're gonna kill you with no hard feelings now, nobody like mccready can raise a pretty big stink the point is who'd miss a nobody like mccready if he just uh say disappeared caught on a road with no escape one man against the whole town stops at every turn Stops from finding out the truth of what happened on that bad day at Black Rock. A day from which there is no escape. One day you will never forget. Bad day at Black Rock. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover Bad Day at Black Rock from 1955. All right, the studio was MGM. The release date was January 7th, 1955. The running time, very brisk, at 81 minutes, and it was in color. The budget was $1.2 million. The box office was anywhere between $3.7 or $5.7 million. Today, it would be the equivalent of $98 million and was ranked number 31 of top-grossing movies of 1955. Now, Leonard Maltin from the Classic Movie Guide gives it 3.5 out of 4 stars. Powerhouse cast, it's a yarn of a one-armed man uncovering skeleton in Tiny Town's closet. Ernest Borgnine is memorable as a slimy heavy. Millard Kaufman expertly adapted Howard Breslin's story Bad Time at Hondo, and it's an excellent use of CinemaScope. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 97% fresh from 29 reviews. So as I mentioned from last week's episode, which was Anatomy of a Murder, I discovered Bad Day of Black Rock the same way I discovered Anatomy of a Murder. And then that was through a book titled Hollywood Picks the Classics. Many actors were featured, and each actor had a list of about five to six essential films to see from their filmography. In, Tra- in Spencer Tracy's filmography, this was one of the films listed. This is a very brisk, well-told tale that 
is less than an hour and a half long. And so movies like this just aren't made any longer because there's lots of dialogue and it's terrific acting. And, and really, there's very little action per se. The attention span of today's moviegoer would simply not stand for a non-CGI, non-superhero movie. It's really sad that we can't sit still and we're just an easily bored generation. Well, at least other generation. <laughs> but hey, that's what this podcast is for. So if you want to get out of your ADD movie comfort zone, maybe something like this will fancy you. This sort of movie has like a high noon effect, uh, but it's modern. So meaning it takes place in one day. This is a slow burner kind of movie, but the payoff is awesome. Again, what this comes down to is terrific acting. Today's filmmaking is frankly lazy. Why waste time on a decent script when bombs and similar looking effects in every single movie is what grabs people? It's, you know, I, I don't need that. <laughs> so, and eventually it's going to be coming time and you see why certain movies like A Star is Born and uh, Hell or High Water where they kind of go back to that old of, hey, let's just have a great script and good acting or at least strong acting and characters that are interesting. And you you know, put some thought into things instead of just blowing things up and letting a computer take over. And I think that's why you have a lot of people going retro and back and, and things like that, because after a while, you can only go to so many superhero movies, and while they'll make money, you're going to lose interest after a while. So, and I realize I'm an outsider today, but the computer-generated special effects of today's filmmaking just kind of bores me. It all looks the same. Okay, enough of what sucks today. Let's talk about the legends who star in this film. And really, I don't use the term legends lightly here. Uh, Spencer Tracy, he plays John J. McCready. Um, in this point of his career, Tracy had nothing left to prove after almost 25 years in Hollywood. And, and he was considered one of the finest actors of his generation. Uh, some of his memorable, memorable films previously uh, before this film was San Francisco, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Boys Town, the original father of the bride, and in his many films with his longtime partner, Catherine Hepburn. They were never actually married. Tracy was the perfect person to play the mild-mannered but very tough McCready character in Bad Day at Black Rock. However, Tracy tried to back out of the film before shooting began as he was dealing with his ongoing alcoholism. MGM decided to call Tracy's bluff and they said and they said they sent the script to Alan Ladd and Ladd had agreed to actually star on the film. Then magically Tracy decided to decided to officially do the film. It's funny how that works. Robert Ryan plays Reno Smith. Now Ryan always seemed to play a villain or often complicated characters in many movies, especially film noir. Some of my favorites from him are Crossfire, Act of Violence, The Setup, and The Racket. Ryan and Tracy play really well off each other in Bad Day at Black Rock, with Ryan kind of straddling the line between thinking he's got it made and losing his mind at any second. Walter Brennan plays Doc, and this is the type of character that Brennan always seemed to be cast in as well. He's the older, well-meaning guy who is always there to help the lead character. He's like everyone's uncle or grandfather, and he made quite a career out of it. Uh, Brennan had been acting in films since the mid-1920s, and some of his best-known films at this point were Sergeant York, The Pride of the Yankees, To Have and Have Not, My Darling Clementine, and Red River. All, all classics. Then you get Ernest Borgnine, who played Coley Trimble, and Borgnine's character, is uh, he's a complete scumbag in this film, no, no doubt about it. Eventually, being part of the most memorable scene, in this film, but for all the wrong reasons. Borgnine had quite a year in 1955 because he also won an Oscar for Best Actor for the movie Marty. 
and not bad for a guy who just started acting in 1951 and really didn't have much of a resume until this year in 1955. Another legend, you get Lee Marvin as Hector David. And like Borgnine, Marvin was just perfectly cast as the second half of the gruesome twosome. <laughs> Marvin had a voice that I would have loved to have. And at this point in his career, Marvin was just starting out just like Bar- Borgnine, mostly appearing in TV and small film roles. He was absolutely terrific, but vicious as the mobster Vin- Vince Stone in the movie The Big Heat starring Glenn Ford. He was also in The Kane Mutiny a, pr- a year prior to Bad Day at Black Rock. Marvin would go on to have a terrific career, and I'm sure I will get to other films in later episodes. I know I do own some. And interestingly enough, Ryan Borgnine and Marvin all went on to star in The Dirty Dozen in 1967. Great movie. And lastly, Anne Francis plays Liz Worth, and Francis has the distinction of being the only woman in the entire film. And I'm not exaggerating. There is not another female, including extras, in this film, which makes for an interesting dynamic in the film, but kind of more on that later. Francis' character runs a gas station in the film, and, and Francis didn't appear in many well-known films up, to this, up until this point in her career. She pretty much became a TV actress for the majority of her career, and classic sci-fi fans will remember her in Forbidden Planet as Altera Morbius. Now, rounding out the cast is Dean Jagger as Tim Horn, or Tin Horn, <laughs> the town's drunken sheriff, and John Erickson as Pete Worth, who is the hotel clerk and the brother to the Anne, Car- Anne Francis character in the film. Russell Collins plays Mr. Hastings, who is a train station clerk, and Walter Slade as Sam, who ran the one restaurant in town. Now, the director was John Sturgis, and Bad Day at Black Rock would really be his breakout film, though he did directed some, he directed some solid film noir movies in the 40s, but after Black Rock, he would go on to direct Gunfight at the OK Corral, The Magnificent Seven, and The Great Escape. Vincent Minnelli was offered the job, but passed. The screenplay was written by Miller Kaufman, and as Leonard Maltin mentioned in his brief synopsis, the film was an adaptation of a novel titled Bad Time at Honda. The reason the film wasn't called the same title was because John Wayne had just started in a popular western simply titled Hondo, and the producers didn't want to confuse the moviegoers. Bad Day at Black Rock would be his most well-known film, though after researching some of his prior work, I discovered he wrote as a front for Dalton Trumbo on the awesome Bonnie and Clyde-type film Gun Crazy. Now, Trumbo was, of course, famously blacklisted during the McCarthy scare of the 1950s. All right, so my thoughts on this film. It's, it's actually a somewhat modern Western, though it has flashbacks to classic Westerns, and I will give examples of this when I get to the Lee Marvin character. So the opening credits show a train through the desert, and Andre Previn actually provides a score here. Previn was a renowned composer, or he, he's still alive, uh, winning four Oscars for a score, a score work, and ten Grammys. And the opening credits are interesting in a sense because it's like this grandiose epic-type film, almost Ben-Hur-esque. However, this is a very minimalistic film at its core because it's only 81 minutes in running time, and that's perfect. Uh, You can put everything... You don't need (laughs) these two-and-a-half-hour movies because I I think what's lost is, like, kind of the Disney theory of, you know, less is more. You can put more... You can put so much into a 90-minute movie or less and still get the job done. So we find out that, that few townspeople in Black Rock aren't used to train stopping there, and we find out it's the first train stop in Black Rock in four years. It literally looks like a one-road town, much like Pescadero, California, if you've ever been there. <laughs> so everyone looks at Spencer Tracy like he's an alien once he gets off the train. He wants to go to Adobe Flat and search for a man named Komoko, who is a Japanese farmer. 
So as we discover later, nobody in town wanted Komoko there, much due to the anti-Japanese sentiment following the bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941. Now, we discover that the film is supposed to take place in 1945. It's, a, it's really actually fascinating to watch at, as literally the whole town stops what they're doing once Tracy enters town, and, and they obviously don't like outsiders, and they do have something to hide. So Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin, as I mentioned earlier, like kind of the lo- local tough guys. But Tracy is polite to everyone to a fault, but he won't be pushed around. And Tracy's character is a quiet calmness that is very similar to Queen Eastwood in the famous Man with No Name Spaghetti Westerns that he starred in. And that is what troubles folks the most, a quiet confidence. People really can't handle that, especially when they have something to hide. The hotel, the one hotel in town, tries to claim that it doesn't have any vacancies, but Tracy takes a key anyway and stays at the hotel. Lee Marvin makes a crack like, you look like you don't need a hand to Tracy, uh, obviously referring to his paralyzed arm, and we found out later he was wounded in battle during the war and lost the use of his arm. We assume it's from World War II since he mentioned being stationed in Italy, though Tracy looks a bit too old to have served, but we can ignore that, I guess. The screenwriter, Kaufman, actually felt the same way I do, but how do you pass up on the opportunity of having a legend like Tracy star in in the movie and you kind of have to suspend belief? Interestingly enough, the original script did not have the McCready character uh, portrayed as being disabled. The paralyzed arm angle was later added to entice Tracy to take the role, as the producers believed he'd be more interested in the role if the character had a disability. Personally, I agree. The film is more interesting and compelling with Tracy having use of only one arm. The hotel lobby is an important location. It's the place of waiting and making you anxious about what is happening. I called the Circle T. He ain't got business there, not if they don't know him. Right, Mr. Smith? Send a wire to Mick Candy, Los Angeles. Tell him to find out everything he can about John J. McCready. Uh, what was that? Nick Candy, Los Angeles. Tell him I want to know fast. Sign my name. Uh, who is that? Nick Gandy. G-A-N-D-I. Blake Hotel. You got the rest of it? Yes, sir. All right, sign my name. Who's Gandy? Private detective. I drive to L.A. now, man. This guy, Gandy, you got us the dope, huh? Get us anything you want for 20 bucks a day in expenses. Don't get too nervous too fast, detective. Just I don't like it. Maybe he's just passing through. You don't bet on him. He can be in only trouble. Hector, you're jumpy as a stall horse. Well, you ought to see him, talk to him. About what? What'll I talk to him about? The birds, the bees, the uh, crops, the weather? You tried it. What to get you? It's just I thought that you just thought. Well, what do we do? What'll you do? You'll wait. Just like Peter. Is that right, Peter? And that's all you'll do. And while you wait, I'll talk to him. Hey, what do you know? Mr. McCready seems to be heading for the jail. Now, what do you suppose he'd want to talk to the sheriff about? Lee Marvin is just awesome when he plays a heavy, which he often did, and Marvin's character is interesting. He tries to act like a throwback to a different cowboy era, 
an era that now, in the late 1940s, is changing. And he seems stuck in his ways, or at least trying to act what he feels a cowboy should be, whether it be twirling guns or, or whatnot. However, he seems out of place, though he doesn't realize it. Again, the whole town can't figure out why Spencer Tracy is there. Now, Walter Brennan, though skeptical, is one of the more friendly people in town, but he knows there's something rotten with the current town politics and feels Tracy may be able to help, but he's kind of afraid. Chair. Now use your phone. Yeah, help yourself. You're one of the few people who's been back here I can say that to. It's uh, 424. What's 424? Well, if I get your peg, and I think I have, you call on the state police. But if I was you, and I'm truly glad I'm not, I'd look it up myself. I wouldn't trust anybody around here, including me. 424, please. 424? Lines are all busy. Uh, don't tell me. I know. Lines are all busy. Be busy all day. looking at me like that like what like a potential customer <laughs> everybody is and i get them coming and going first i sell them a piece of land do you think they farm it they do not they dig for gold they rip off the topsoil of 10 winding hills then sprint in here all fog heaved with excitement lugging nuggets big bright and shiny <laughs> is it gold it is not. Do they quit? They do not. Then they decide to farm. Farm in a country so dry that you'll have to prime a man before he can spit. Before he can say, Fat Sam, they're stalled, stranded, and starving. They become weevil-brained and, and, and butt-sprung. So, I bury him. But why bore you with my triumphs? Yeah, I got a problem of my own. You sure have. They're going to kid you with no hard feelings. And you're going to sit there and let them do it. Don't get waspish with me, mister. Oh, I'm sorry. I, uh... yeah, well, I feel for you. But I'm consumed with apathy. Why should I mix in? I don't know. Maybe to save a life. Yeah, I get enough trouble saving my own. Look. I try to live right. I drink my milk every day, but mostly I... Try to mind my own business, which is something I advise you to do. A little late for that. Oh, no. You can still get out of town. But you better get out like a whisper. How? I've got a sort of a limousine at your disposal. Where is it? Robert Ryan is definitely the leader of the town, and when asked by Tracy, Ryan claims Kamoko was shipped to an internment camp after Pearl Harbor, but Tracy feels that he's lying. Ryan's character is very complicated. He acts tough and definitely is feared by the locals, but he is also super paranoid and not entirely in control. 
compared to Tracy, who was always in control. Now, Dean Jagger is the sheriff, and there's a funny scene. <laughs> there's a funny scene what uh, that says "want to snort," and Tracy passes, and uh, Jagger says, "I don't blame you. It's awful." <laughs> the sheriff is a kind of the town drunk, and basically is put put in place by Robert Ryan as a figurehead. And again, Ryan runs everything. So movie plots involving secrets of towns were very popular in the 1950s and 60s, and and Twilight Zone is a good example, or the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, or or towns run by one man, like in this case. So Anne Francis, again, is the only female in town, and and Tracy offers to rent the Jeep uh, that she owns, and she obliges for 10 bucks. Now, this is a fun fact. In today's inflation, the $10 that Tracy gave Francis to rent the Jeep would be the equivalent of $125 today. There are absolutely no families found in this town, and it's men and pretty much nothing else. It's a dying town for obvious reasons. Ryan decides Tracy is asking way too many questions, even though Tracy really hasn't revealed his true intentions about why he's in Black Rock. But Ryan thinks that Tracy should be removed, permanently. Now, the viewer still doesn't know the secret that the town is trying to hide. They keep trying to make, you know, the the townspeople keep trying to provoke Tracy. And there's an interesting scene about Ryan's uh, Japanese sentiment at the time. And and this was an interesting angle, which, if the movie takes place in 1945, World War II is, is over. However, the sentiment towards Japan would take much longer to change. And, and even if Mer- Americans of Japanese descent had always lived in the United States and never in Japan, people still had a problem. I like how the film subtly deals with the racism of the time, which was unique for a Western genre. I also like how the film doesn't get preachy or heavy-handed. The informed viewer can figure out the historical implications of what happened. You don't have to be hit over the head with it. Now, as I mentioned prior, Borgnine is the biggest scumbag in the entire town, and though Marvin is a close second. But Borgnine tries to run Tracy off the road while driving, and Tracy eventually gets his revenge in one of the best scenes in the film. It's just an awesome fight scene. And Tracy basically beats his ass with one arm, and you have to see it to really appreciate it. Uh, The production code administration at first objected to the use of karate in the movie, calling it not fighting uh, heroically, which is odd. (laughs) Uh, But then they were uh, reminded that the fact that Spencer Tracy only had one arm, so they allowed it. It's just kind of ridiculous. So the local mortician was also the veterinarian. You gotta love small towns, and Walter Brennan was considered doc. And it takes a while, but the last 10 10 minutes of of this film will appease those looking for, you know, major action. You know, Tracy pulls off some MacGyver-type tactics, which are pretty cool. So I've been careful not to give away anything of the key plot points because I think many listeners of my podcast probably haven't seen the film and this is all by design I'm trying to entice you to watch the film because there are things that that just kind of play themselves out and again it's only 81 minutes of your time so if the description of the basics of the film interests you definitely go and check it out and again if you've already seen the film you don't need spoilers you know (laughs) so there you go now, some fun facts. Now, Black Rock was not a real town. It was it was built specifically for this film. Filming was shot in Lone Pine, California, but according to Ernest Borgnine, the heat just left everyone exhausted. And uh, he said it was too damn hot to party. <laughs> but Spencer Tracy invited everyone to his hotel room for a cocktail hour every day, even though he only drank 7-Up. 
because the alcoholic actor usually abstained while working, but often went on binges after production wrap. Spencer Tracy had a hard time with, again, with the heat and altitude. It was kind of uh, exasperated by his high blood pressure, and according to Anne Francis, uh, him being on the wagon just kind of added to his irritability. Now, the film received three Oscar nominations, but did not win. Tracy was nominated for Best Actor, uh, Sturgis for Best Director, and Kaufman for Best Screenplay. And ironically, Spencer Tracy lost out to Ernest Borgnine for Best Actor that same year for Marty. Spencer Tracy left the country right after the Oscars that year, and when he came back to work at the studio, Ernest Borgnine went to see him, and Tracy berated him for not having answered the telegram they sent after the awards. Catherine Hepburn stuck her head out of the Tracy's trailer and told him, he won the Oscar, not you, dummy. <laughs> Borgnine and Tracy had a good chuckle over that. Now, the A-Team, which was one of my favorite shows from the 1980s, had an episode called Black Day at Bad Rock in season one. And so this is where the gang saves a small town from being terrorized by a biker gang, and many shots were fired, but nobody was ever killed in the A-Team. Here they come. Hey, Hannibal, here comes the meat. They're hanging a right on me. You pigs want Jenko? Then climb off your tricycles and come in and get him. You sound like you want to die, pig. Nah, I just want to squeeze you marshmallows out of my town. Now come on, I'm in here, let's go. Unless you muscle heads are just long on tough talk and short on guts. There's only two of you, there are 30 of us. I don't think you got the gas to keep Jenko in there. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But there's one real easy way for you to find out. You want him, you got him. Let's go. First door on your right. And try not to drool on the rug. We just had it cleaned. You're gonna eat it, Sheriff. And I'm gonna feed you to the brothers for dessert. Remind, Remind me to tip the waitress. You're leaving. No, just getting the running start. this. Okay, Murdoch, you're on.
Don't anybody move a muscle. Don't even think about it. The projectionist records have revealed that over the years, Bad Day of Black Rock became one of the most frequently shown films in the screening room of the White House. Ernest Borgnine always referred to Spencer Tracy as Mr. Tracy and never by his first name. Borgnine said he was in awe of him, and to him, he was the world's greatest actor, and here he is working with the man. Now, the script called for McCready to light matches one-handed, and Spencer Tracy had difficulty, and this convinced director John Sturges to let him use a Zippo lighter, as every veteran he ever met had one. So although he generally got along with most of the cast, Spencer Tracy could be moody, as we mentioned, and would often often give actors uh, the cold shoulder for days on end because of some slight, whether it be real or imagined. Now, one time, Anne Francis and Robert Ryan borrowed his car to go get hamburgers. The next morning, Tracy complained that the car was parked crookedly. Francis also said she got the silent treatment because Tracy falsely suspected her of having an affair with Robert Ryan. Now, Francis got even during the shooting of the scene where she drives Tracy's character to Adobe Flats, which was supposedly the home of uh, missing Japan- the ma- missing Japanese farmer. So she gunned the car and took a big road bump at full speed, almost dumping Tracy into the road. Despite this, he stayed firmly in character and never removed his unusable left hand from his pocket. She later said that Tracy finally became friendly with her again after that incident. Spencer Tracy said he had great respect for Robert Ryan as an actor. Miller Kaufman recalled that Tracy said to him one day that Bob is so good in this part, he scares the hell out of me. When Kaufman expressed the same, Tracy replied, that's good. It means he'll scare the hell out of the audience, too. All right, again, this is a very quick film. It is significant and it's important. And again, the, the... the amount of classic, really legendary actors, and I don't use that term lightly, in this film makes this kind of required viewing. If you're a film buff, and if you haven't seen it, again, it's a very quick movie. It's a very somewhat powerful movie, but it goes quick, and it's not your traditional Western. But if you just like great acting and you like a good story, it's worth checking out. All right, until next week, this is Brian signing off. After From Here to Eternity... But before Marty, it was Bad Day at Black Rock and Spencer Tracy. What was the what was the uh, first time uh, working with Spencer Tracy experience? Woo, Lordy! Uh, I was doing a scene where I've already pushed him down off that hill. Now we pick it up from. Actually, I hadn't done it yet, you know. But uh, then he comes into town again. And he comes in with that one arm stuck away, you know, and and um, uh, he started across. And the, the, the one of the things that threw me, where everybody was saying, "You mind if we watch this scene? You mind if we watch?" Well, I understand you're a pretty fair country actor, and so on and so forth. 
Yeah, that, that, bro, please, by all means, you know. Robert Ryan, everybody. And now he gets out of the car and starts toward me. And all I could see were two Academy Awards coming right to me. <laughs> I forgot my name, I forgot I was born, I forgot everything. You know, it was just one of those things that, and suddenly, pow, there he was, and I said, well, if it ain't McCready, the All-American Roadhog. <laughs> we finished the scene, boom, bam, bim, and he walked in, and the director yelled, cut, print, okay, let's go to here. And everybody's going, Okay, kid. <laughs> and Mr. Tracy came out. And he looked me in the eye and he said, you know something? I like you. I said, when you look at people and when you work with people, you look them right in the eye, don't you? And I said, is that what you're supposed to do, sir? <laughs> and that was it. From then on, we became buddies. And uh, when I went to make Marty one day, uh, uh, read for Marty, I was still working on that picture uh, with Spencer, and uh, and he said, hey, hey, where the hell are you going? He said, if anybody leaves here early, he said, it's me, I'm a star. <laughs> and I said, thank you, he's just kidding. But uh, I told him, I said, I had to go down and read. He said, read? <coughs> you don't read anymore. He says, you're a star. <laughs> I said, out of your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> and he said, wanted to know what it's all about, and I told him the story of Marty and everything else. Oh, don't worry about it. It'll be a cinch. You go ahead and do it. Don't worry, you're going to get it. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. The next morning I came back. The whole thing is a, another, another story in itself. But I came back the next morning. I'm smiling. You got the part, huh? Yes, sir. Ah, that's a boy. I knew you'd do it. And the next year I beat him out for Academy Award. <laughs> No, he was making an old man in the sea. Oh, he was gone already. And when he came back, I went over to see him, and uh, he stuck his head out. He said, hey, Donnie, he said, I sent you a telegram, and you didn't even bother to answer me. And Katie Hepburn stuck her head out. She said, well, he wanted your damn fool. <laughs> <laughs> what you got to thank you for? Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie Memories. <laughs> I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E, P 
P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the Antolacahala. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbean. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out. Science.